Letter fifty nine of the History of Lady Barton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. The History of Lady Barton by Elizabeth Griffith. Letter fifty nine. Miss Cleveland to Lady Barton. Indeed, my ever dear Louisa. Your letters have been a heavy alloy to the happiness that I ought now to partake of. But like Joseph, when surrounded with all the magnificence and delights of the Egyptian court, I weep upon the neck of my Benjamin. Yet let me flatter myself that good and not ill fate awaits my sister, as I may now believe the conflict's past, and that her own reason and virtue have triumphed over a weakness which, as she justly observes, could only be productive of misery." of misery, perhaps, in the extreme. Yes, my dear sister, I do most truly applaud both your letter and your conduct towards Lord Lucan. And, what is of infinitely more consequence, you will yourself approve it. You will again enjoy that peace which goodness bosoms ever, and even feel a higher degree of exultation in your mind at having recovered the lost path than those who have never strayed can possibly be sensible of. With this prophecy I will close the subject of your late letters, and shall be impatient till I find it verified by the calm cheerfulness which will, I hope, diffuse itself through all your future correspondence. I have much to tell you, both of myself and our dear brother. We have had a wedding as well as you, but t'was a very private one. Yet surely I may say with Fitzosborne, what though in silence sacred hymen trod, nor lyre proclaimed, nor garland crowned the god, what though nor feast nor revel dance was there, vain pomp of joy the happy well may spare, yet love unfeigned and conscious honour led the spotless virgin to the bridal bed. All heaven and every friendly power approved the vow and blessed the hour. But to proceed regularly, in my last I told you that we should quit Saint-Omer in a few days. Do not be shocked, Louisa, when I tell you that we were all very near remaining there for ever. As Delia recovered her health, Sir George's spirits returned, and after passing a very cheerful evening this day three weeks, we retired rather before midnight to our chambers. I want words to express the terror I felt when I was awakened about four o'clock in the morning by people screaming out fire and beating at my door in order to force it open. I found myself involved in so thick a smoke that I could not find the passage out of my chamber and concluded that I must inevitably perish. Amidst the variety of voices that repeatedly called upon me to pull up the bolt, I thought I distinguished Lord Hume's. Perhaps this circumstance added to my confusion. On a sudden the voice ceased, and I found myself as it were left alone in the midst of the flames, which then burst into one side of the room. At that moment a ladder was fixed against one of my windows, and Lord Hume entering by it, caught me in his arms and carried me I know not how, but totally devoid of sense, to his apartment on the other side of the street. When I had recovered my reason, I had the happiness of finding my brother and Delia sitting by me, and my champion kneeling before me, and pouring lavender water on my hands and face, with a look of such tender solicitude as if his life depended upon mine. The emotion of my gratitude, or, call it what you please, was too strong for my spirits. I fainted a second time. I was put to bed in this situation, and a surgeon had opened a vein in my arm before I opened my eyes again. 
Never can I forget the expressive look of sorrow which appeared in Lord Hume's countenance. I confess it, Louisa. It in one moment obliterated all his past offences, and he became even dearer to my heart than he had ever been before. His saving my life, even at the hazard of his own, was only a proof of his spirit and humanity, which he ought to have exerted for any other woman in the same dreadful situation. But the tender anxiety he showed towards me afterwards spoke the fond lover, and the delicacy of his behaviour from that event has strengthened his claim to that title. As soon as my arm was bound up, I tried to express my gratitude to Lord Hume, but could not. Tears stopped my utterance, but relieved the oppression of my heart. He seemed as little able himself to speak as I, but in an incoherent manner said he was the happiest man alive, and kissed my hand in transport. Sir George then made every person withdraw except my maid, and left me for some hours to compose myself. I found, upon inquiry, that the fire which had consumed three houses began at a sugar-baker's, who lived next door to us, and that it was not discovered till a part of our house was in flames. An old servant of Lord Hume's was the first person who saw the blaze. The poor man happened not to be well and could not sleep. To his sickness, under providence, are we indebted for our lives, and he shall never more feel the fatigue of servitude or labor, his lord and my brother having rendered him independent for life. This accident, you may suppose, retarded our setting out. Delia, who suffered less than I from the fright, was an equal loser by the fire. In short, neither we nor our servants had been able to save any of our clothes from the flames. You may conclude that the dear good Walter supplied us with every necessary till we could get them made. I fear the apprehension she felt on our account before she knew that we were safe has hurt her much. She looked so very delicate when we parted that I scarce dare flatter myself with the hopes of ever seeing her more. While we were delayed at Saint-Omer, a second courier arrived from Mrs. Colville, with a letter to Sir George, acknowledging her passion for him, pleading that in her excuse, and imploring him in the most abject terms not to expose her weakness by carrying on the suit against her, and assuring him of her full consent to his marriage with her daughter. In order to avoid being brought to England by the Chancellor's messenger, she is retired privately from Toulouse, and has placed herself in a convent, but where we know not, nor shall ever inquire. I hope she will remain wherever she is for life, as I really believe that the bare sight of her would shock our poor Delia more than the fire had done. She has sent back the small trunk which belonged to the person who died at Amiens, and has desired that Sir George may open it, in order to forward the papers in it to the party for whom they are designed." if this can be discovered from the initials, which is the only address they have. My brother has assigned this commission to me, and as soon as I have a moment's leisure I will execute it faithfully. If I continue to write so circumstantially there will be no end of this letter. You must therefore take leave of Saint-Omer, and suffer yourself to be instantly transported across the water with me, as if you were reading one of Shakespeare's plays, and conclude us now safely arrived in London, whence I am now writing to you. After my brother had waited on the Chancellor, and shown him Mrs. Colville's letters, he most readily gave his consent to Delia's marriage, and said if he were a bachelor he should be very proud of such a helpmate as the fair lady, meaning me, Louisa, who had acted with so much prudence in the conduct of this extraordinary affair. As both the parties were very well inclined to enter into the holy state of matrimony, they readily dispensed with the parade of public wedding, and on Saturday last my brother had the happiness of receiving his well-beloved wife, from the hands of my beloved husband that is to be. 
for we shall take more state and form upon us than they have done, I assure you. Joy to my Louisa. The happy pair set out next day for Cleveland Hall, whither I shall follow them in a very few days. Mary Granville and Lord Hume are to accompany me, and the moment I know my Louisa's heart is at peace I shall give Lord Hume a legal claim to mine, but not till then, for indeed, my sister, I cannot taste of joy while you are wretched. Lord Hume and my brother have complained much of the dejection of my spirits since we came from France. I have attributed the change in me to that of the climate, but I think they don't acquiesce in that opinion, and suspect a hidden cause of sorrow, though they know not from whence it can arise. Oh, be happy, my Louisa, and make me so. Lord Hume's chariot stops at the door. A lawyer with him! How tremendous! And not a creature with me! Run, Robert, for Miss Granville! Horrid parchments! Shocking deeds! My hand trembles, I can never sign them! How did you? Adieu! Adieu, my sister! F. Cleveland End of letter 59